picture. Somebody's mother and director. This man made yours. Are you kidding? Who's kidding? Who around here? <laughs> it's like a total joke. It's a dark day in Hollywood. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a very dark day. This is a dark day. This is a... Sulek doesn't know what to do with them. Enough. All right, we're suffering. We're suffering. Cancel my day. Right, we're getting drunk. Cancel my week. Right, that's going to last week. I'm going to Palm Springs Wednesday. Right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Dude, this is gold. Where'd you find this? It was on Slash Film. That's it. Who directed the film? The shock! Yeah, you know, you make a film and it gets nominated for the best picture the director. It gotta get nominated in total. That is ball rock. Hey, welcome to the New American Storytellers podcast. So I'm Shepard Allers and I'm here with David and Mike. We're going to the moon and back this week and we're here to talk about a little bit of the production process of Twin Reflex. So anyway... We talked, we, we talked last, last week about the writing of Twin Reflex and sort of our, our writing of the skeleton script, how the actors had no idea what kind of movie they were making. You know, all those things are really fun sort of in pre-production because, you know, especially on your first feature, for me it was my first feature in like 10 years, and my other features, you know, they Well, were, it makes it sound like really, we were a really lazy director. <laughs> well, sort of like Terrence Malick. You are Terrence Malick. You're coming back after a 10-year hiatus. Oh, I'll see you in 10 years, David. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, the... the, the Terrence Malick is making a million films right now. I know he is. It's, it was really fun to talk about. You know, the actor's not knowing the script, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just sort of letting it be real. Because we wanted it to be real. I mean, the re- we didn't want to just mess with the actors for the sake of messing with the actors, but we realized as we were talking about story points that the actors were going to most likely inflect in ways, if they knew, in ways that we didn't want mm. inflection to happen in the in the delivery of lines and the, the conversations. And um, in revelations of plot points. And yes. So I thought it would be way more fun to just capture the, the first time that they see that prop or that location uh, is the first time that we, we, get to, we get to capture that moment with them, which is really mm. fun. We dove into production. The actors had no idea what they were doing. Um... And then we started just throwing sort of crazy stuff at them. I, I would kind of call it maybe on the first act, our technique, maybe a little bit of method directing, which worked mm. sort of great. There were sort of mixed results. You know, on set, yeah. here's the thing I'm, I'm, I've learned. You know, we're filming and we're trying to like really mess with Jack's head. So, you know, we did a scene where he's sort of sneaking up to his neighbor's house, um, the neighbor who's been watching. And, you know, we are just like hitting things and making noises and trying to startle and capture, you know, capture those moments of real startle, of real fear, of real. Um, and it felt awesome. At the end of the night, we walked away. We we're like high five, and each other. We're like, "This is awesome." We we're making a film experience. Yeah, experience. You know, Jack was like, "Oh my gosh, that was." I was really feeling stuff. Now, the thing, the interesting thing I've found is, just because it feels real on set, it often doesn't read very well on. Film. When I went back and started editing the scene, the reactions that I, I think were real looked pretty dumb. Interesting thing about reality. It is. It's really weird. Like the like, uh, to me, I mean, this movie was so much a coming together of so many of the things we've been talking about on the New American Storytellers and learning on our first two short films leading up to this, being like being to the point where I was okay with Mike coming alongside me and gently telling me like, this isn't working. Like this is really bad. And we, you know, in those moments, do as Winston Churchill says, you can either be right or consistent, but it's better to be right than consistent. So I could have said no, 
this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to be ha- a hands-off director on this, and it's going to be real. We'll fix it in the edit. We'll fix it in the edit, which wouldn't have happened. I mean, I'm so glad looking back on the footage, <laughs> especially of that day, and realizing, like, it was going to be a disaster. The cool thing about doing a small, low-budget film like this is you can make those decisions. You can make those very drastic decisions on the fly and change course. And I think mm. it, it served our film immensely. Um, you know, I think the thing, one of the biggest things I learned about directing on this film, and I learned on the first act and was really able to implement on the second act, was there's, this, there's a gravity towards high emotion. There's a gravity towards a lot, just like, especially if you don't have a script, but I, I think any film, you're going to be, your actors are probably, especially if they're, they're young, inexperienced actors like ours, who are great actors, but this was all of their first feature, there's going to be this gravity to feel like you have to up the emotion. You have to, if you're going to get, you know, if you're going to get noticed, you have to be big. You well, have to, doing nothing doesn't feel like acting. Right. So, it, you know, I probably should be doing something. Right. So, and, and it's really easy and in the past, and even on this film, you get caught up in that emotion. As a director and a filmmaker, you see an actor crying. I mean, it's hard to cry. And, like, I've never had an actor who could cry on demand. You see them crying, and you're thinking, this is gold. This is what wins Oscars. Because, you know, of course, Oscar night, they always show the scenes, you know, for best actor, Meryl Streep, and they cut to some shot of her weeping or something. And so you think, you get caught up in the emotion, but then when you get into the editing room, you're like, this is totally inappropriate. You lose, it's so easy to lose the sight of where you are in the process. Right. And, and to think, with those films, too, the actor earns those moments right. before they're seen weeping on screen. Exactly. So I think, I think what, I, what I, we learned as we were making this was the gravity is to be bigger more over the top, more louder, more, you know, more dialogue. And so our job, especially not having a script, a formal proper script, but just having the skeleton outline was very much to whittle down and get to the core of what a scene was and to, to just be cutting, cutting, cutting. So my direction was, most of the time, was quieter, less intense, don't say as much. Whisper. Whisper, Jack. yeah. Just Jack. In the face of George Lucas's oft-quoted advice... Faster, more intense. Uh, mm-hmm. We took that. We took the the alternate road of quieter, less intense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the high road. Maybe our next one. We'll, we'll change, change that. Yeah, we'll we change the little mantra. Extremely loud and incredibly uh, dangerous. Um, yes. It was, but I mean, I think we set out. Our goal is to learn how to make a feature. Uh, my goal is to learn how to direct a feature. Mike, you wanted to learn to DP feature. Shep, you wanted to learn to first AC a feature. We all wanted to learn to write a feature. I mean, it was mm-hmm. sort of... And so there was that openness. We had to have that openness to to learn and to course correct. And to, if something wasn't working, like to, to say, okay, this is what's not working. It's too much. To It was great to have those conversations where we articulated, like, why is this scene stinking like because we'd Mm. we'd you know without having a script we just kind of get the actors in there and we'd give them very general direction we'd roll and i think most of the time we'd all kind of look at each other horrified and then mike we'd take a walk and we'd articulate what wasn't working and that i mean that helped and sharpened us as filmmakers so much so by the end of the film we were able to much quicker just Hone in like, on just hone what in. was important in yep. the scene. Be wary, especially young filmmakers. I'm sure you know as you get older, more experienced, this is less of a temptation. But to get caught up in the emotion of a scene, um, and to get caught up and forget the big picture and forget and not ask the questions. You know, are we getting the coverage we need? Are we hitting the beats? Is this is this the right time <clears throat> in the movie to have someone crying? Um, well, it's a classic thing, and we've hit this on some of our commercial projects and others. We know 
Scene 31 is supposed to be a scary scene. And so, and the scene involves someone coming up to a door, open the door, and then seeing a bunch of scary stuff. So we start shooting it with the guy going up to the door, and we know in our minds, scene 31 is supposed to be a scary scene. So we want that guy to be scared. But he hasn't done anything right. yet to be scared about. Like, he hasn't seen what's on the other side of the door, which is actually what's scary. So to to have him act in a way and to coach him to be to have this terrified, wide-eyed look, when you bring it back in, when you're on set, you're like, yes, yes, yes. Like, I feel scared. But when you bring it back, you're like, why is he, why is he doing that there? It doesn't make any sense. What would Mamet say? Uh, well, Mamet, David Mamet, you should read the book on directing film. He would say, when you're building a house, the nail doesn't have to be the whole house. It just has to hold this part of the house together. And mm. in the same way, I think actors' tendencies, no slam on actors, and even screenwriters' tendencies, directors' tendencies, is to feel like every scene has to be the whole movie. And every moment has to be the whole moment. It has to explain everything surrounding that scene. So this line, like here... We have to have it explain all this stuff, or it's not going to make sense to the audience. Right. But just let if, let the scene understand, you know, understand why the scene's in the movie. Right. Understand. Let the actor open the door, and let that be opening a door. Exactly. Keep it. And the thing that's going to ultimately make it scary is not just the actor's wide eye mm. expression, but it's going to be the shots you choose to cut together. Yeah. It's going to be your music choice. It's going to be your sound design. It's going to be everything that happens in post. And if you have some crazy wide-eyed actor, what you're going to have is a totally melodramatic right. piece of film. So I think it is understanding and trying to really understand what, why certain things are in your film. Because we had stuff in our script that was scary and was, like, <laughs> paranoid. And, you know, all these things that we thought were really cool, but when I edited them together in this first act, I realized they were just... They were just scary for the sake of being scary. They were paranoid for the sake of being paranoid. They weren't taking the story forward. They weren't moving the story forward. They were just kind of reiterating what had already happened, and so they weren't ultimately scary. And so, I mean, we cut them, cut them from, the, from the film, but it's, it's you know, you know we, we tried various methods to get our actors to have real experiences. You know, we didn't tell them what the story was. We didn't tell them what the what was going to... We'd just kind of give them what was going to happen or what had just happened and then let the scene roll. And some of it was true, some of it wasn't. Yeah, we'd, also we'd, yeah lie to we'd lie to them just to get emotional reactions. And so we'd, we'd throw them in a basement with a blindfold on and pull it off right before we began filming and then start a number of bizarre noises. Actually, before we even pulled the blindfold off, we'd start making right. weird noises. <laughs> and uh, by the end of one scene, David, you were banging against some air duct. Uh, screaming, screaming. Screaming at the top of your feedback, voice. Feedback, feedback. And uh, that, you know, and, and some of those scenes that required action and not a lot of subtlety, those did work. So th- I think mm-hmm. that in some of those scenes, um, we, we messed up in other ways with, well, with just covering it um, because... Sometimes those moments that are very honest are not easily re- replicated. Right. So, and to get the good coverage that you need to be able to cut the scene together, you have to work to to stage those things mm-hmm. afterwards and just be very intentional and not assume that because everybody on set felt really scared that you're going to be able to cut a scene that actually exactly. looks scared. It was really fun on set. We all had a blast. We thought it was going to be the coolest scene, and it the scene turned out fine. But we didn't. We got so caught up in the moment that we didn't ask, are we getting the coverage Mm -hmm. that we need to actually cut the scene? Are we getting, do we have the shots? So we might have to go back and film a couple shots to kind of space those out and fill out. We also can't use the audio anyway. Yeah, well, exactly. We ruined that. Totally irritating and annoying. But on another scene, I mean, another, this is just sort of a fun story. Again, I don't know if I'd recommend this. But 
we had this the the neighbor that the main character was watching suspicious of was this awesome actor named Israel Groveman. Well, he had left, and we had filmed this stuff, and you know he was gone. We were gonna film a scene where Roy, um, the actor Jack, goes up and pounds on the door. He wants answers, so he pounds on the door, and I I said just within earshot to uh, Mike or Shep, I said, "So uh, is Israel? Is Israel ready to go? Is, you know, is Israel in the room? Is he ready to go?" And so Jack began to think that Israel was gonna. We were gonna. We had already messed with his head enough that he was suspicious that we'd do it again and have faked, you know, Israel's leaving. So we had him walk up to the door, and and he was terrified, and it, it led to a really awesome performance of him pounding on the door and and being really terrified. Um, but we were aware, I think we were more less caught up in the moment and aware of the shots we needed to get. So that was a good example. Yeah. I think another good example was a scene where uh, Roy, the main character, gets uh, interrogated and the police officer that we had play a police officer was actually a police officer, and um, we gave him information that uh, Roy's character didn't know about himself and lied to uh, Roy's character as well going into the scene about what the policeman knew and separated them so they weren't able to talk beforehand. Um, And so we threw them in this room together and covered their interaction as the police officer interrogated him and walked him through a questioning process. Mm -hmm. And revelations were coming out about things that had happened in the film that he didn't know about yet, that Roy's character didn't know about yet. And those were some really fun moments. Capturing those looks and eventually uh, just just panic and just confusion and frustration that sort of build up in that scene because of that. And him being convinced that he knew what he did in the earlier scene, but he didn't really know. So lots of lots of fun things there that were explored that worked as well. Something I would do a, a million times over, and I'm so glad we did on this, is cast as much as possible real people who do, like if you want a police officer to do an interrogation scene, I could we could have written an interrogation scene, but rather we cast a real police officer who does interrogations for a living and just said, dude, here's the information, interrogate, I want you to interrogate our actor. And it was awesome because it was like a real, and I, I, it was real. It's been really fun to see because I've been a couple TV shows I've been watching recently. They've had some interrogation scenes, and they're like butt cake. They're like so stagey and so like I know what you did, and you're gonna fry, you're gonna burn, you know, all this stupid. But this, this, <laughs> this, our scene, and again, it'll be interesting to see how audiences respond. But it, I'm really happy because it does feel very real, mm-hmm. and it feels like it makes sense, which is cool. And I, I, I know Paul Greengrass. I mean, obviously, the idea of casting right. real people is not original to us. Paul Greengrass oftentimes will cast in his films, like United 93, cast real pilots and cast real people who, so you can have a have them talking about a flight just as pilots would, and it, it's real, you know? Well, in that film, he cast people who had actually been through. Yeah, who had been themselves in the movie. Been is, in the control rooms and in the um, air traffic control rooms. Right. On, well, it and, just further like, blurs the line between, between film and documentary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is really fun. I think the lessons that we we learned in this production process very much were. It's funny you you learn things, but until you can actually apply them, mm-hmm. you don't really learn them. And a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on the New American Storytellers, we knew conceptually, but when it was it was great to get to apply them. And, and, really and also when you get into when you approach a film, you define your set of style requirements. But when you make the film, the film sets its own style. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It, it will define its own style. So for for us filming it, the methodology behind directing 
and my methodology behind capturing things, um, you know, just it grew and it was it warped. But I think we were able to stay true to the core things that we wanted, the core things we didn't deviate from. We shot the entire film handheld, yep. which was a, a major part of the core style. Um, we kept a really really small crew wherever possible mm-hmm. in the in the sequences where we did um, need a lot of people. They were moved out of those scenes after things were set up so that it could really just be the actors and director and me and a sound person wherever possible to keep things from feeling like a play or keep them feeling... It allowed us the mobility to be able to move around in large spaces. Uh, The lighting choices that we had, even as we progressed and we used more lights and and, uh, didn't just use existing light or, or practicals, as the film progressed and we had a bigger budget and we were able to light things more, we pre-lit things in a way that we were able to light spaces mm-hmm. so that people could, the actors could move around and we could have a variety of creative shots that yeah. didn't have to mm-hmm. be blocked out specifically. We didn't, we didn't model light and cut it and put it so specifically that the actor was boxed in so that they couldn't move around and we, or we'd just get a bad shot or start seeing production. And Well, one thing, Mike, you had been saying for a, a little while leading up to Twin Reflex that as a DP you wanted to push to be to shoot 360 on our sets, to not have just one angle you could shoot. And in a lot of ways we did that. I mean, we, we were able to, in a lot of scenes, just run with it and you were able to just move the camera and the actors really were able to move you know where they wanted to I think to that s- even if we didn't see 360 in any of the particular shots the idea that I had the freedom to move around like made a big difference to just the style of, of camera work that I was able to do yeah. and I think for the actors too so they sort of knew they didn't have to have in their mind well I can't go over there because then we're going to see all this stuff right. so for me like I was able to whip around and keep things moving in a way that even though sometimes, you know, you guys had to duck down as I whipped around <laughs> in certain shots to stay out of frame, there was a freedom that was there because mm-hmm. of the way that we lit it from above and from the sides and used, you know, supplemented existing sources so we didn't have to bring in a lot of light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to keep things light, free, and mobile. And allow us to move fast, which you have to do if you're going to do a feature in, you know, three weeks. Three weeks. Right. Yeah. Well, the second act was such a different experience. Like, we learned so much mm-hmm. from the first act. They were able to put into the second and third act when we went and had more money and had more crew members and just really dedicated people uh, who came together to make it all actually yeah, work. Absolutely. That was one of the cool things about waiting, shooting, and then being mm-hmm. able to go and edit and coming back. And we had lessons learned already we from did. the first act that we could apply into the second. Yeah, things. like like a gaffer is a good role to have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was first first act was sort of me setting up lights with Shep and well cuz um, we had said we don't, you know, we, we don't really we wanted to, right. we had as our goal to have it be uh, all the lighting be existing light supplemented with practicals. Uh, that started we hit up against the limit there at some point. It wasn't a bad goal. I think that it just it was we realized that we needed to it doesn't mean that you don't have a gaffer. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> and we were trying to save money, and we thought, ah, oh, well, we're not going to do any lighting. So thankfully, Alan Jaskowitz rocked it. That second half mm-hmm. of the film looks incredible. Right. And it elevated mm-hmm. so much. And it isn't a huge departure. is isn't a departure from the style of film, but it elevates the yep. style of film. Yeah, right? absolutely. 
Absolutely. Because yeah. the, the goal of lighting is to feel real. Yeah. It is to feel natural. Depends on what filmmaker you are. <laughs> well, <laughs> true. It does depend. But for me, yes. For us. For, I think for our second act. We like, don't want it to look lit. It, it looked way more real. Yeah. I mean, we were shooting film, so we didn't have the latitude that uh, we wanted. I wish we were shooting film. Next, next it, film. It doesn't matter what you're shooting, you need light. Yeah. The the thing that I hope to carry forward, and the thing that I don't want to forget, if, you know, God willing, we have opportunities to do bigger and better films, is that sense of, like, yes, we want to plan, yes, we want to be wise, but also, like, sometimes you just have to, you just mm-hmm. have to force yourself to do something you haven't done before. Right. If you want to get on the moon... My dad works at NASA, and I've learned that there's a point on your way to the moon that you pass through that if you don't have, if, you're, if there's any problem with, your, with the rocket ship, that there's no way that you'll be able to come back to Earth again. And subsequently, like, if you, if you decide to go farther than that, you will get on the moon, but you won't be able to come back and vice versa. So if you get to that point, there's, there's that awesome goal that you have for us to be able to make this film and for w- when we got to that point, it was like, are we going to hit this button and keep going, or are we going to like turn around and be safe on Earth? And it was, it was a very real risk yeah. to be stuck on the moon. And like I felt that way totally in One that in that moment. Film. It was like we will we'll make that first act, and it'll be great, and we'll who knows what we'll do with it. We'll just sit mm-hmm. on it forever, um, or we're going to like go the whole way and try and do mm-hmm. this thing and risk it all and, and go for it. The best way to learn. How to make movies is just by making movies. And the exciting thing, uh, I, the thing that I'm super excited about, and I think any filmmaker should be excited about, is knowing that your next film is going to be so much better because you're going to have this huge wealth of knowledge to apply into your next film and to know that you know, this, you, you're not going to put all your eggs in one basket and just say, this film has to be sort of my, my the film I'm remembered for. This has to be my right. Citizen Kane. But realizing... Uh, this is just the first of hopefully many films we get to make and many stories that we get to tell. And um, we won't do it the same each time. Yeah, we won't. I mean, there's a lot of things I already know that I think I'm going to use time. a Steadicam next time. Yeah, I we had one we're sitting gonna there. Let our actors two weeks. It was sitting on set and we didn't touch it. So yeah, we're definitely going to let our actors know <laughs> the story next time. Until next time, I'll see you next time. I'm Lavar Burton. I'll see you next time. Read a book. Read a book. It's in a book. Reading reading, 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 rainbow. Reading, reading rainbow. Reading, reading rainbow. rainbow. No, it's reading rainbow. Yeah, your 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 pacing rainbow. was all wrong. Reading you know, rainbow. I think that was good. Was a few that's, times. No, that it's but that's definitely that the motif. Really I mean, yeah. it, you don't just be like, I'm loving it. No, <laughs> reading rainbow. I mean, that's the. Can you do wishbone? Ah, uh, what was? What's the story, wishbone? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. Be sure to check out our website, newamericanstorytellers.com. Be sure to tune in next week. We're talking about Tauntauns. More specifically, we're going to talk about Star Wars. We're going to talk a lot about Star Wars. I'm not going to talk a lot about Star Wars. David and Mike are going to do a lot of talking about Star Wars. And we're also going to talk about mashing up genres and what it takes to be a part of the culture at Vinegar Hill. 